Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a while. Hey, you guys, it's me, Jackie Cation. That's right. First ranger among rangers of the Dork Forest. You're listening to the Dork Forest. The websites, of course, are thedorkforest.com. Just regular dorkforest.com goes right to it. There's uh, familypetancestry.com that goes to jackiecation.com because it made me laugh. Allthingscomedy.com has a Dork Forest page, and that is because that is my podcast umbrella network, and they have a lot of other podcasts on, on their website. If you're looking for other pods to listen to, a lot of stand-up comics have their podcasts on there. Al Madrigal and Bill Burr, of course, being the most famous. The credits, let's do it. Patrick Brady's going to fix this audio. Mike Rickberg composed and sang the intro song to The Dork Forest. He will sing again his words to the Mexican hat dance at the end. And Vilmos fixes JackieCation.com. He will be fixing up the merch page and making everything more expensive. So if it's... $25 for a t-shirt with shipping. It's $30. Then that is taken into account that postage has gone up. And uh, yeah, I raised the prices. But it all includes shipping. All the merch, I might as well talk about it. If you go to JackieCation.com on the merch page, the store page, you can get Ranger the Dork Forest t-shirts, the Dork Forest t-shirts. I'm phasing out the brown ones. It's just going to be green. So, But I have some left in stock, and I'm going to bring them on the road. They're all union-made, all the t-shirts. They are made in the United States of America by union workers who have dental and health care, very glamorous. And so, hence, they run big, just so you know, because they're made by union members and Americans. We proudly, uh, I guess, or with some shame, are slightly larger than other people. You can also get all of my CDs. My CDs are available digitally on Amazon or iTunes. You can just also stream them on Pandora or Spotify, but you can buy hard copies on my website. So there's the first one, Circus People, hard copy, involve, includes a, a a quick time video from my 2003 Comedy Central special. The It's Never Gonna Be Bread, which was top 10 comedy albums of the year in 2010 when it came out on Amazon.com. And my new one, which came out last year, was top five comedy specials of the year on Vulture.com, and that is called This Will Make an Excellent Horcrux. This Will Make an Excellent Horcrux is available as a CD, as a DVD, or as a downloadable $10 special on ComedyFilmNerds.com, which I also write movie reviews for. Um, you can get just a, town, uh, a download of it. The DVD itself has a, a, a DVD bonus, and I can sign anything. I can not sign things. There is a new T-shirt, and it is the Spooky Reading Girl T-shirt, a reference uh, from my act. Okay, other than that, the L.A. Podcast Festival is coming up, you guys. It's where everybody gathers. And if you're coming to it, go to LAPodFest.com and buy tickets and come to the podcast festival. It's the weekend of September 19th. If you can't make it, you can live stream all of them for a month. All of the different podcasts are being filmed uh, and then live streamed and then saved for a month so you can buy them all for $25 if you are not going to be able to make the podcast festival and you would like my podcast and everybody else's podcast in the whole world. Mark Maron's podcast is going to be there. Aisha Tyler's podcast is going to be there. Uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour is doing one. Uh, Paul Gilmartin, who was just on the show. 
and you can live stream all of it. It's $25 for all of them. You can save five bucks if you use my code, which is dork, D-O-R-K, oddly enough. And then it's 20 bucks for everybody. My podcast is going to be 4 p.m. on Saturday, September 19th. Uh, my guest will be Greg Proops. And then I'm also doing Paul Gilmartin's podcast that night where we will open a vein and talk about any sort of mental illness that I might have because he has a thing called Mental Pod, Paul Gilmartin. That's at 10, p- 10 p.m. All these times are Pacific. Now, when I do the live shows now, I'd make them premium episodes. That's on Bandcamp. So if you go to uh, probably bandcamp.com slash the dork forest, I don't know, there's a link and uh, there's special there are special premium episodes. I think they cost $2 because sometimes the live ones cost money to put up with the audio guy and the travel and the hotel and whatever. Other than that, there's, of course, a donation button on both dorkforest.com and jackiecation.com where you can donate to the show. If you are enjoying the show, feel free to donate. Uh, this has been a weird year financially. And so if you like the show, you could donate 10 bucks a month. I haven't made that easy because I don't like regular money coming out of anything. So you just have to remember, oh, I like this show. Here's $10. And I'd love $100 from everybody. That's what I would love. If you have $100 a year, I would love that. And if you have more, uh, God knows, I would love that too. But whatever you like, whatever you can afford, and if you can't afford any of it, that's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm glad you like the show. Talk it up. You can also support the show by uh, buying merch, which we talked about, or using the Amazon banner on JackieCation.com, which is when you order from Amazon. And we all do. I'm almost sure, certain we all do. Uh, I, I know it only works with the U.S. version of Amazon, though. But you click through to the U.S. Uh, version of Amazon. You do your order just like normal. And it supports the show a little bit. And it doesn't cost you anything extra on Amazon. I do stand-up comedy, Jackie Cation does. And there is a tour page on JackieCation.com that tells you where I'll be doing it. It's an exciting time. Feel free to come and see me live. But for the love of everybody and their grandmother, let's get into the dorkdom of the day. Thanks for listening, you guys. Let's do this. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. I'm in my living room with Stephen Brophy. We met uh, from Mr. Jim Wooster, friend of the show, Jim Wooster. Oh, you and your bone spurs. Remember that guy? I sure do. Okay. That guy. How could I not? How could you not? You can't forget Jim Wooster. Went no. To, like a burned into your cerebellum, that guy. <laughs> Stephen Brophy. Uh, With every status update so you're he act- makes on Facebook. <laughs> right. They're sometimes inscrutable. Oh, yes. I wish yeah. you were on Twitter because that's where that inscrutability might really take off. I don't know why he hasn't joined it yet. Well, I because- think the commitment... Of, you know, you're like, he's going to have to, you know, jump over it and go to Periscope or right. Instagram or Snapchat or some damn thing. Oh, he'll never be on Instagram. Someone was telling me that I should Periscope the Dork Forest and then, because they're gone in a day. <clears throat> Though I don't believe that. I believe that they are on a server somewhere owned by the Periscope Everything people. is stored. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? For legal reasons, if nothing else. And It's when, archived in the ether. Right. And because, you know, when somebody dies, you're like... Guess what? I've got these weird videos that Andy Dick posted. I don't know why that name came to just randomly. Is he next up in your death pool? Is that why? Uh, I, I, you know, I don't do a death pool, but, uh, someone was telling me they had somebody in their death pool. I was like, it feels like Doug Stanhope does a, he has a death pool that he runs, that he pays out on. I'm not surprised. Yeah. He's a very dark comic and, uh, enjoys, I, uh, I'm good. You know what Dr. Seuss said? <laughs> Welcome to the safest space in podcast, Bill, where I quote Dr. Seuss. I love uh, it. Dr. Seuss says, don't be sad that that uh, th- that it's over. Be happy that it happened. 
Absolutely. Isn't that a great line, though? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, there's nothing well wrong said. with that, Stephen Brophy. Uh, by the way, you are on Twitter, and it's at STBrophy. And uh, it's also STBrophy.com, uh, which is your website. That's right. And you are, in addition to being an actor and, and these things, you're a writer. You've written uh, prose. You've written fiction. Yes. And I have in my yes, hot little out hand. Of, out of desperation, I've turned to prose. <laughs> that's... <laughs> I don't, I don't understand, uh, why that, I, I think that that's admirable. It feels like, it feels classy almost, cause it's not even a graphic novel. Oh yeah. It's, it's a, pr- it's prose, and it's, granted, they are superhero prose books. Uh, I've read one of them, I didn't read the other. I read The Villain Sidekick. Which, you could probably read the other one while we're talking, and it would, it's <laughs> so short. Conundrum. It's so incredibly short. It is pretty, it's pretty tight. It's, uh, and then, and these are self-published, right? Yes. That's awesome. Yes. I love I the, mean, technically they're published by my friend, uh, who has a publisher? Yeah, Johnny B. Baker. Johnny B. Out Baker. Out of San Diego. Has, yeah. Budget Press. Um, but it's the next best thing to self-publishing, really. Right. It's one step up because he has access to people. Exactly. Right. And exactly. you don't have to find access to people. Although I think and I've it, sold more books on my own than I have through Budget Press. Well, I think that's true almost always. Um, cause I mean, what you do is you get hard copies and then you sell them. And then there, it's on Amazon too, right? Yes, it is. And that is, uh, people should check it out. The Eternity Conundrum, a brief prequel to the villain sidekick. I have not read. Are you writing a, and you said you were writing something else. Are you writing a prequel to the prequel? Please tell me you are. I'm writing a, yes, a series <laughs> of prequel stories called 12 Angry Steps that okay. will tell the entire origin of my main character, Hand Cannon. Hand Cannon. How he got his, uh, arm mounted machine gun and his metal jaw and uh, all the other aspects of his character right, that make that, him memorable. That was his thing. That was his thing. The villain sidekick. It's been a little bit since I've read it, but the, I do remember the metal jaw. Hard to forget a metal jaw on a dude. Oh yeah. And uh, so this, but it's superhero prose, That's which correct. is a part of, of, I have never, re- I mean, yours is the only superhero prose that I've read, except for oh, Tarzan and Conan. Then you don't know what you're missing. I'm, I'm clearly missing something. There's, yeah. a, it sounds like it's a, it's a rabbit hole of craptastic <laughs> enjoyment. <laughs> Not as craptastic as you might think either. Oh, really? There's actually a lot of really well written superhero prose, and it's kind of like a science fiction subgenre that's catching on. I don't think. Yeah, it's even more speculative than speculative fiction. Exactly. Fantastic. And less scientific than most science fiction. <laughs> right, because anything can happen. Yeah. It's superhero prose. Yeah, you're not, you don't have to adhere to all those weird rules, man. Now, I have read Tarzan and I have read Conan, uh, one of each many years ago. I've tried to read them but, again. That hasn't really held up for me. But those are, those were like, they inspired comics later on, but of course they were prose first right but i think that so are are people taking like superman or characters like superman and then going back to prose well that's been done for years and years and years i remember probably the first piece of superhero prose i ever read was a novel that was published it was called last son of krypton i think and it was published at the same time as the superman movie in 78 okay but it was it had nothing to do with it it just had a picture of Christopher Reeve on the cover, but then the plot inside had absolutely nothing to do with the movie. Right, but it um, had, did it have something to do with Superman? Oh, yeah. 
It was so, Superman and Lex Luthor and okay, that whole thing. Okay, so I read but, a Splinter in the Mind's Eye, which was a, a the first Star Wars, the first sequel. Star Wars uh, prose mm-hmm. that was unrelated and yet fascinating. Anyway, right? I was like, when's this movie coming out? The and beginnings was, of the expanded universe. It was was it? I don't know if it was. That I don't know if it really ones? counts as that, but it was the first Star Wars novel oh, outside what? of the books based on the screenplays. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, well, then look at me getting in on the ground floor of something mm-hmm. I didn't know existed. See? <laughs> <laughs> but do you, I, like, I consider Tarzan and Conan, um, superheroes. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, they're, I mean, they're definitely pulp heroes. Right. Which and is where. Tarzan can talk to animals. Yeah. Which I is mean, a superpower of sorts. Which is a superpower. He is. Although in his he, case, I think it's mostly learned behavior, right? It's just how he grew up. So. <laughs> Except a lot of people. I'll tell you something. The natives all grew up. They couldn't talk to animals. Some of them could, but uh, he could. He was the king of the jungle. I don't know if you True. know that. True. And, that, uh, well, that's because you know he was the white guy. They had to defer to the white oh, guy. It was the, this is the worst <laughs> part of it, of course, where you're just like I was. I bought all of the Tarzan movies because uh, I was. I did some show where I had to defend Tarzan against King Kong because I love Tarzan. <laughs> Tarzan was my favorite thing when I was a kid, and uh, but I th- but and I I asked Andy. My fella, uh, if he considered him a superhero, and he definitely did. Wouldn't, don't you think that he's, cause he could, he could yeah, swim I mean, like, from, swing from things mm-hmm, and, and hold his breath for long periods. He's at right. least as much of a superhero as Batman. Like he's a superhero through training. He's okay. a normal human. Who Iron has Fist. Heightened himself to, I, uh, I, I would say almost Iron Fist because there is a mystical quality about him. Although does he have the power of the dragon or whatever it is that gives Iron oh. Fist his super fist? He has the power to kill an alligator, which I think uh, means gives him the power of an alligator. But even Steve Irwin could wrestle those. <laughs> right. But he was eventually killed by one. And, and perhaps whereas Tarzan how, lives on. He lives on in our memories. Okay. <laughs> now, I've totally weeded off of your topic, of course, classic. And, uh, but the, uh, um, I would expect no less. No less. And, but so, the, but it's fast expanding, but when did it, when did it really start, you said? Well, I mean, I think, Again, there were, there have been tie-in, you know, people have written Spider-Man novels and Captain America novels and things like that for decades. Um, but my first, uh, experience and inspiration for all this was a book that came out a few years ago, probably eight years ago or so called, uh, Soon I Will Be Invincible. Okay. By Austin Grossman. Okay. And, uh, who I think was a computer programmer. Like ah. a Microsoft guy or something yeah, yeah. that, you know, was really into gaming and various things. But his first novel was this novel told from the point of view of the alternating points of view of a supervillain who got out of prison and was determined to get back on top. Oh, Dr. Dr. Impossible. Okay. And then from the point of view of a superhero who was just joining a uh, – she was like a female cyborg type who was just joining a Avengers slash – Justice League type of group Team. and seeing all the sort of politics and infighting of that group. And it was, oh, okay. so it would alternate between those two points of view throughout the story. And it was really clever and funny and somewhat satirical, but without being, it was not a parody of superheroes. It was an actual, like, like a fairly, celebration. Yeah. A loving kind of, you yeah. know, you could tell this guy loved comics and loved these characters and they were, but he definitely didn't take like, himself super serious. Though. Exactly. 
And Which I think is key in general, I think, in writing about superheroes. There's always – I think it's – in general. It's part of the – in life in general, exactly. But in superheroes especially, you look at the yeah. Marvel versus DC thing and it's like the Marvel movies, they always have a sense of humor. They always have a sense that they're not taking it all too seriously right, right. because they recognize that there's a level of absurdity to all this. Right, and when they do, it gets slightly flawed. Um, um, cause, cause there are a couple of movies that take themselves kind of serious that where you're like, well, you're kind of bumming me out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, Man of Steel would be a prime example of like, this yeah. is so incredibly dark and serious. And a little bit Where's of Daredevil. Where's the fun? Yeah. A little bit of Daredevil in how serious it is. And he is a sad sack. And I know that, you know, Peter David, could not make a happy Daredevil for some reason. He would not allow him to be happy. Be happy. I want Daredevil to be happy. Well, actually, do you read the yes. book now, the I think Mark, Wade Mark Wade material? Yeah. And he's, he's, he's really lightened him up. Yeah, he's taken and, decades of his damaged psyche and like flipped it on its head. And, and, and thank you, baby Jesus, because <laughs> it was needed. It was needed. I wanted him but, to. But I love, I, I think that was one of my first introductions to comics in the early 80s was Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. Okay. And uh, I love that Daredevil. I love that noirish. Didn't he create that noirish? Yes, I mean Fred, he took. Fred Miller essentially created Dare, the Daredevil we know today. Exactly. Okay. That has then been run with by people like Ed Brubaker and Brian Michael Bendis, and that's where I got in on Brubaker, and um and so and then Peter David and then um and now Mark Wade, but what what else is uh, I I know that um the who's the guy that <laughs> I just spaced his name who created Daredevil that you were just talking about Frank Miller Frank Miller what, he is famous. For creating s- several of that, didn't he? Like, what else did well, he, he t- write? I mean, he took, uh, you know, obviously the Dark Knight Returns, the Batman story. He that was him. Yeah, he yeah, made he was around the, fr- the same. He didn't do after. the killing joke, did he? No, that was Alan Moore. Okay, that was Alan Moore. Okay, but so it was he- definitely part of that whole like dragging comics into a more adult. You know, and for a long time, adult meant dark and gritty. Right, and I and I don't mind that. I don't mind. I, I like that they're adult because uh, I I'm an adult. Uh, and I, <laughs> Who and loves I love, this stuff, right? Right, right. And I'm glad that there are there are children's books and there are, there are adult books. But there was a uh, like that that there was a Nick Fury. The Max line of mm-hmm. Marvel was adult. There was cursing, you know. Like I think the first Nick Fury. It was the history of Nick Fury, and he's just in bed. Literally, I think they say, like he goes, "I love fucking," or so. I mean, it was like it was like a, the. That was F the Garthennis. Was that Garthennis? Yeah. Okay, who's yeah. I love Garthennis. Mm-hmm. It's um, you know who I always think I like, and then I read, and I'm like, oh, not as much. Is Jonathan Hickman? Um, where I it gets dark, but I don't, I don't ever get, I don't feel the payoff that I want. I think. Well, I was really into his indie stuff more than I was the stuff he was doing for. I have Marvel. that with I have that with like, Bendis. Um like Manhattan Projects, have you read any I, of that? I did read maybe that's where I have the the idea that I love Jonathan Hickman. But but I got to a point even with that where I felt like it's just high weirdness that's sort of treading water and I don't know where it's going anymore. Right. And at the beginning I was like, wow, this is amazing. You've got like the, you know, yeah, yeah, the superhero Einstein and, you know, yes. Richard Feynman yes. and all these amazing like physicists and Bendis does the same thing where you're like it's in an amazing world and the dialogue is amazing 
what is happening? Is I, am I, cause the thing is, is I feel like I'm just living my life next to people, uh, at that same pace. And, uh, with, especially with a written word, pick it up, pick it up. I'm going to need, uh, I'm going to need to finish this before my deathbed. Right. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> please don't let us die together. Right. And then neither of us what, know what happens. Do there next. really need to be 500 issues of powers? <laughs> and I look lo- right. Cause I do, I do love powers, mm-hmm. but it is genuinely exciting when something fucking happens yeah and powers where i'm like oh thank god well, look i've also developed I, I i've noticed i've developed a passion for finding books that have already been canceled that, <laughs> that their complete runs have been collected in trade paperbacks okay and that like planetary is a great example like mm-hmm. warren ellis's planetary probably one of my favorite that, modern comics that was amazing. of all time i forget about planetary and apparently it was really frustrating if you were reading it while it was being published because it would take Ages for an issue to come out and ages for the collections to come out. But by the time I discovered it, it was oh, already then, all then in print done, done. and all done. Oh, see, because I started at the very end and Andy would just literally, he we would go to the comic book store and he's like, it's been six months. Where is Planetary? Where is it? <laughs> and it's not. And um, yeah, so I think you are correct. In, and it's stuff like, uh, you know, are, are you reading, um, have you read Lucifer? No, that's uh, that's the spinoff of Sandman, right? And who, who's writing it? Is it Mike? Gay? It's done. It's not Damon, and, though. No, it's Carey. Mike Carey. Oh, okay, and uh, and it's excellent, and it's really great, and I, I've recommended it before on the show. But it's um, and is that that is being made into a television show? I, I think. think it is. I think they took the part where Lucifer moves to Los Angeles and opens up a jazz bar, <laughs> and they're making that into the, <laughs> which, by the way, is kind of the greatest arc of it and the most accessible anyway. I mean, that's an impressive so premise. The the overarching premise of Lucifer. <laughs> is almost too big for television because it's essentially Lucifer is sick of God's ineffable plan. And that's why he (laughs) rebelled against God back in the beginning. And then God shows up at hell one day just going, hey, you know, it was part of my ineffable plan that you open hell. (laughs) And Lucifer's like, I hate you. Son of a... Yeah, and he's like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving hell. And that's in Sandman when he gives the keys to hell to Sandman. And, And so, but... In in Lucifer, and this is a bit of a spoiler, except for that I don't remember any of the individual stuff, and all of the individual stuff is incredibly well done, so I, it's not a spoiler. God keeps sh- sh- showing up, going, you know what you're doing right now? That's part of my plan. No, no. It's it's like having a little sister who's like, no, I, or an older brother who's like, you know, I... I, I meant hit, to do that. Yeah, I meant to do it. Why hit yourself? That. Why hit yourself? Quit hitting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great premise for a comic book, quite that honestly. Brilliant. But it's almost too big for television, I think. So give him a, give him a, you know, and then did, turn it into moonlighting. <laughs> did Mike Carey, is he the one who wrote Unwritten? Yes, yes. I just uh, read like the first seven volumes of that. Seven was, volumes. Yeah. I mean, they're slim volumes. It's not. Yeah, they're, no, I know, but. but uh, I was kind of hoping it would end. I was like, oh, it's so good, but can it have an ending? It did. It, uh, it did just end. Oh, it did? Yeah, because we collected. Oh, good. Yeah, so it is done. Finally, it is done. And it was excellent all the way through, as opposed to Why the Last Man, which kind of, which, wasn't that him? Was that no, him? that was Brian K. Vaughan. That was Brian K. Vaughan. Wait a minute. Maybe Brian K. Vaughan wrote unwritten. Someone's yelling at their iPod right now. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, but, but all of these ones are excellent. And un- unwritten is, is beautiful. Kill, kill Shakespeare? Have not read that. Okay. That is, um, that the arc is done. You can read that. Uh, <laughs> that is a finished piece of work. It has begun again with a new arc and I don't know where the hell it's going, but the first run was amazing. And, um, 
because unwritten kind of reminds me of that because of how literary it is. Right. It's written by Smarty Pants, Stephen Brophy. Mm-hmm. And when Smarty Pants mm-hmm. writes stuff, uh, it makes me feel smart when I get stuff. Exactly. And it makes me feel like I'm reading something more than just a comic book. Exactly. I'm reading an incredible novel that has pictures in it. Right. Right. Now let's get back to the actual novels. Okay. Because that's what, that's the stuff that you got sucked into a rabbit mm-hmm. hole of, of this thing. Right. And, and the thing is, the other reason that I, started getting into reading all this stuff is well after reading Austin Grossman's book I was like is there any more stuff like this right and not only was there but I got a Kindle around that time right and it was cheap it right. was really cheap like four, to buy four you know, to six bucks or something self published or you know yeah low yeah. end kind of so I discovered another book called uh Jim Bernheimer Okay. Is the author, and it's called Confessions of a D-List Supervillain. Yeah. And That's it had a-, a slightly cheesy cover, and I didn't have high expectations, and then I, you know, read the sample and was like, oh, wait, this guy's smart and funny and yeah. good and interesting, and I, you know, and I... Jim Bernheimer? Jim Bernheimer. D-List got, Supervillain. Yeah, and he's written three of those now. It's a serious There's story. Origins of a D-List Supervillain, which <laughs> tells his backstory. And secrets of a D-list supervillain, which I haven't read yet, but can you be a D-list supervillain and not be a henchman? Um, I think you can. You just okay. got to do the low. You just got to be the guy who only works alone <laughs> and does right, right? really low-level crap. You know okay. what I mean? Like you, and you only end up running across like the most pathetic superheroes. superheroes. Oh, D-list superheroes. What exactly. Imagine. Exactly. Yeah. Like right. Florida Man or something like that. <laughs> Um, Great Lakes <laughs> Avengers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's who I think. I, I, Florida Man is a character I'm going to introduce in one of my prequel stories because you always see those headlines. You know, Flo- oh, Florida Man. Florida Man loses toe to alligator or whatever. Right, you know, right. and I'm like, that's Florida Man's got to be a superhero. A Florida Man, a really does. sad sack superhero. Right, the sad sack superhero who mm-hmm. cannot get his shit together <laughs> and is constantly making terrible life choices. Exactly, because he finds the one sinkhole in town, <laughs> and he's in it, and he finds the one guy who's on bath salts. Uh, Stephen Brophy, where are you from? I'm from Texas. Originally. You're from Texas. Okay, where where in Texas? I was born and raised in Houston. Houston. Which is why I set the villain sidekick in my hometown. Oh, so, there you go. Hand Cannon. Duke Hand Cannon LaRue is also from Houston. Is also from, and, and that's where, and, and, the, and that's, stuff goes down, man, in Houston. Oh yeah. Big stuff. It's uh, big stuff. Big stuff. Big heavy stuff. <laughs> a lot of strip malls being put up and then abandoned <laughs> and then revitalized. Uh, that's, you've the spent story. some time there, it sounds like. <laughs> well, I know the story of Houston, you guys. <laughs> I want Houston to have a better story. Write it. Write that's it. That's what I'm Houston trying to do. That's exactly. what I'm trying to do. Fair enough. <laughs> But that sounds kind of fascinating. The deal is super villain. And how are they, are they nice pulp length? Yeah, are they're, they like they're 220s? all, they're all manageable, probably in Even the less? two to three hundred range, I think. Well, uh, and some of the, you know, like, I, I want to say that, yeah, I want to say Confessions is a good, solid, not short novel length. It's the, not a novella like mine. It's, okay. Uh, yeah, because yours is le- but it's it reads, 100 pages, which is novella, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. Which is part of why I self-published, because at the time, no one, no publisher was taking novellas, so there wasn't even a point in trying to put it out there. Right. Now, apparently, Tor.com is actually oh, they're, publishing they're, sci-fi novellas. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've read some Tor, uh, some Tor authors, and but what uh, – I, I like the idea of it being, you know, more – and, oh, I know my next question. So sorry. Uh, <laughs> is it available for, um, for children? Would you recommend no, any of this for kids? No, my books are definitely you know, grown up. Well, yours is definitely gr- grown up prose. 
There are in situations. There but, are books out there that are more in the young adult uh, vein that I've okay. read. I haven't read any. I haven't personally read any that are for children. I know that there are books out there, plenty of superhero prose books that the, are aimed that at Evan, much younger audiences. Eleven to thirteen, it'd be fine with. Yeah. Okay. And, but uh, these, the ones we're talking about, I think the about, wi- just so- Wearing the Cape series, uh, and I cannot remember that author's name, but. Uh, that's yeah. a, a series of, of books that's definitely more targeted at a young adult audience, and they're pretty well written and fun. I've only read one of them, but okay. I know there's a whole series of those. Right, so, so if and, you have a kid who, who likes to read, it might be something right. that would be good for a 10 or 11-year-old maybe even? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so, because there's nothing too, too gra- grim, gruesome, or graphic in that. There we go. I like it. Uh, but these, but just so people know, the ones we're talking about... These are for grown-ups. These are grown-up books. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, obviously a certain kind of grown-up. Right, a but... grown-up grown who's in touch with their inner child. But, and, uh, yeah. but, yeah, there's, like you know, like my book, it's, there's there's adult language, there's, Adult you know, circumstances. Adult Think... circumstances, yeah. some brutal violence here and there. You <laughs> sure. Know, not gratuitous, not too sure. gratuitous anyway, but... I, I'm kind of interested in the uh, Soon I Will Be Invincible one. It's and, and it's only about eight years old, you said? I think so, yeah. I think it was published around 2007. I wonder if it's spun out of sort of a fan fiction kind of thing where people are like, because they're just writing prose, it's, I and mean, then it, they're like, I can make up my own damn right. characters. Oh, I'll just change this guy to... I mean, all of these all these books you'll always find that, like, you know, there's always pastiche characters, like a Batman type. Okay. Like, uh, there's a Batman type in my book. There's a... Uh, or there'll be a Superman type or a Wonder Woman type or yeah. a Captain America type, you know, that. Right. Um, I was going to say, we're all, Marvel rep- represented at all in these types? Uh, oh, yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially it's, Captain America. Because sure. um, <laughs> I have a Captain America character in my the next book that I'm writing who's called General Public. <laughs> and he is stitched. His name is General Public. He's stitched together from the members of a single squadron of seven men who were killed in action. Oh, <laughs> So that's his that's yeah. his origin. They call him the suture soldier. Oh my god! Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's not for children, you guys. That's going to be for grownups. That's mommy and daddy book. Uh, anyway, so what? Um, that one sounds a little too dark for me. Oh, that's, you'll like it. Uh, it's not I? that dark. Okay, fair enough. That's just a backstory bit. That's just the back. That's just yeah. the setup. Yeah. We, we don't we don't have to watch him being sewn together like no, no, not at all. Fair enough. It's ooh Frankenstein. There's a kind of a superhero classic. Um, is that a superhero book? He is, well, I... That's an interesting... He's anti-hero. I mean, he's become one now. Yeah. I think. And like, there's obviously these modern things like I, Frankenstein, and... Right, and Mike Mignola is writing some some book mm-hmm. that... I actually, it's the you only... Know, it's, there's like one or two... There's a guy named uh, Eric... The guy who writes The Dune? Uh, the Goon? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric um, Powell? Yes. Eric Powell and Mike Mignola. I used to think I'd read anything... And then I was like, no, I'm done. <laughs> and so now I'm back to the goon. And then Mike Mignola has too many titles out, and so I think he might be a little stretched too thin. That gets a little overwhelming, but apparently he is bringing Hellboy to an end in the whole BPRD saga and everything. Oh, well, kind of thank God, because mm-hmm. uh, BPRD and Abe Sapien are driving me nuts right now, and uh, I like them. But pad, pad, pad. It's the slowest. It's the pokiest bears in the forest as far as trying to read the damn thing. And, and then, but he, I, Lord Baltimore, on the other hand. Which uh, I haven't read. Which, uh, should continue. It doesn't have to, it can be in that same world. It doesn't seem like it's in that same world. So, and it's, and it's, we're back in, it, it's, he's a witch hunter, right? So, um, it's, 
just go with Lord Baltimore for now, and then. Oh, and uh, the occasional Lobster Johnson story would be okay. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I love again. I love a good pulp hero. Right with claws. Who doesn't mm-hmm. love a lobster? <laughs> a and lobster. a leather jacket and claws. What exactly. Else do you need? Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't fall in love with that lady. <laughs> You know, hey, Kaneki, you got a lot to offer a girl. That's what, uh, that's a line from Greece. Okay, so, um, oh, did you? Good. Anyway, so, again, I've weeded off of you. Let's get back to you. All right. And, uh, so what else, what, what other ones would you recommend? Um, the Astounding Antagonists was probably one of the most recent ones that I read, and that is also available. All of these are available on Amazon because that's how I started. Uh, and I'm what did you do? Did Raphael you just... Chandler, I think. Yeah, is Raphael the author. Chandler. That's him. And that again, uh, I find with a lot of these that they tend to tell stories. The, some of the my favorite ones, anyway, tell stories about villains who end up becoming the hero. Okay. Um. And that's, you know, coincidentally, it's not like that's what I was seeking out, but I've been a lot of the ones that I've found that tends to be sort of the take that, you what, know, these what, writers what have. What draws you to the villain, uh, that becomes a hero? Is I it- think, uh, well, for one thing, I just personally, I love redemption stories. I yeah. always have. I, you know, I always feel Do you feel, feel like, like a redemption story? A little bit? I am a little bit. <laughs> I am a little so- bit of one, you know, it's like I'm in, you know, like I said earlier, the, one of my prequel stories is called 12 Angry Steps. I'm a, 12-stepper. Right. I'm in recovery. I'm like, you know, dealing with all kinds of issues in my life. And sure. yeah, so I feel like, you know. Your addiction, foot sex. And every day that you go by and you don't have sex with your own foot, you think, I win! Or, or a and stranger's foot. You one know? day I mean, at a time, like my friends. crossing a line. A <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, so okay. I do feel like, and I feel like redemption stories are just, you know, the, I think there's something that most people in the culture respond to on some level. You know, I mean, like, and the two things, you know, obviously in action-oriented prose, like redemption stories or revenge stories. I feel like rede- revenge stories have been so done to death. Yeah. And that there's something so and ultimately kind of empty about the idea of brutal revenge that... Very much so. I I think, yeah, it's 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 almost, it's porny in its mm-hmm. like revenge porn mm-hmm. kind of, where you're like, no, you can have those inside your head voices that say, I want to... Use yeah. my car like a bully and, and bully some, exactly. some person who just made bad choices on the road. Shit happens. Exactly. And I did it yesterday. I had road rage and I was, I was an idiot. And, uh, and then I was like, Hey, you're being an idiot. So I stopped being an idiot before anyone. And I think that's where I think redemption comes in. Yeah. I think the idea that you can have enough self-awareness to stop the bad behavior, to stop the, revenge. to recognize the bad behavior and Actually take an action to change it. That's, you know, know, in a very small way, that's the idea of like redemption. I think that's where, you know, not giving into those impulses and being, not being the monster that you don't want to (laughs) be, you know, and feeling like I'm okay with being the angry monster that like flips off an old lady or chases some poor bastard. And, uh, I used to do a joke about how I, uh, I chased an old woman. It was one of the last times I chased anyone. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, the joke was, of course, is that when you chase an old person, you catch them. And, uh, and then I got out of my car. Like we both stopped and I get out of my car and I'm yelling at her. And she, as a sane person, locked her car. And all she said to me was, get some help. <laughs> and I was like, I'm gonna go do that, and uh, and I and I I I went away. I fucked off and, uh, and right. got some help. And I right. and I re- this time examined. my enemy was right. Yes, yes. And so I mean, and and I think to some extent those re- those redemption stories are are the next step in sort of the coming of age stories. 
Right. You know, I mean, everyone loves a coming of age story, you mm-hmm. know, like an Earthsea trilogy or The Chosen. I don't know why those two are coming <laughs> to mind, but uh, the but then but then when you're an adult, you've come of age. You should have your act together. Right. But for some reason you're still a bad person or you've All made the, massive massive made mistakes errors. and yeah. errors along the way that you So you, you know. must redeem yourself and mm-hmm. that journey I think is I think every adult should be able to relate to that to some extent. Absolutely. That's awesome. And yeah. I think and I also think that villainous characters who aren't like the the interest in examining a villainous character uh is that they're just more complicated, you know? I mean yeah. a, a hero about as compliment, uh, complicated you can make a hero is he's brooding. You know? <laughs> right. And it's like, I mean, if you look at Batman, it's kind of, it, it's kind of pathetic to be like pushing 40 and you're still whining and moaning about your parents' death. I mean, it's a tragedy. Yes. But most people, rational people, that woman Mid-30s, in the car, that woman yes. in the car, get some help. Get some help. Bruce, get yeah. some help. Get, right. You have a disposable income. You, I mean, and he uses all of his money to make weapons mm-hmm. and toys instead and, of... And to terrorize and bully his town. And terrorize and bully <laughs> the bad guys who are in his town. And he's also a philanthropist. Nobody's saying Bruce Wayne is not a philanthropist. But he could take the millions that he also spends to create uh, toys and fun and and even help even more yeah. you know he could adapt more than one kid at a time is what i'm saying <laughs> and, <laughs> and maybe not train them to, to fight to, in the street in the middle of the night as a 14 year old that would be great <laughs> that would be perfect bruce let's talk to you anyway yeah that was my and i've and i've had this conversation on on the show what do you think of this theory is uh i think it was with joseph i don't know who it was with it was possibly joseph scrimshaw where we decided that um, in the original Batman TV series, his superpower, Batman's superpower, was that he was the only adult in that town. It was like something would do, someone would do something absurd or ridiculous or mean, and he would say to Robin, that isn't okay. Let's go talk to them. And, uh, <laughs> and that's what I loved about that show. He was like Mike Brady in a bat suit. <laughs> exactly. Very much so. <laughs> And Fred. I wouldn't mind that show coming back, even though now let's talk about you said that you enjoy all of the shows. Are you watching all I, of the shows? All of the shows. I enjoy the shows that I enjoy the most. I'm like, I'm loving Daredevil. Right. I've watched it Which twice already. And I think you I'm know, in the that, middle of it. That, and, you're, and you're right that it is. It follows the grim and gritty formula, but it captures so much of what I love about that character. Yeah. And the fact that. Doesn't D'Onofrio terrify you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm and he terrified. terrifies me in part because he's empathetic at times. Yes. You know, and that's he a great example the... of, like, that's a complex villain. Who so we... complex. Yeah. I mean, much more than most of the Marvel villains have been so far because we're seeing them in two-hour chunks and they don't get very much screen time. And... Right. But he's a really interesting, full-blooded character. And as is Matt Murdock. I mean, I mean I'm as interested in Matt Murdock as I am when he's Daredevil. Yeah. And... I just, you know, yeah, I love the writing. I love how smart it is. I love, uh, and then I love that it sprinkles in elements of the fantastic, but it's so organic feeling that when he fights a ninja yeah. or there's a, you know, super powered psychic child or something, you're yeah. not like, what's this doing here? Right, right. I love that. Um, I, I guess, is that, I think that's supposed to be the night nurse, right? Rosario yes. Dawson? Yes, although it's not. 
her name. They weren't allowed to use the night nurse because apparently she's going to be used in Doctor Strange. Oh, is she? They weren't allowed to use the real. So Claire Temple is a different Marvel character. Okay. Who they sort of slotted into the night nurse type of role. Who is Claire Temple in? Who is Rosario Dawson, right? I think, yeah. Yeah. And I think she used to be like Luke Cage, like somebody Luke Cage dated and. You know, Luke Cage was, he worked the room. He really did. He, was, he uh, really did until he, Jessica Jones tied him down. Tied him down, finally, ball and chain. Finally and, uh, domesticated that man. <laughs> and, uh, um, so, okay, cause I, I was like, she's the night nurse. And I, cause I love the night nurse. And then I, they just re-released a bunch of night nurse stories. Which I think is so brilliant that they found a way to tie in an old romance comic. Yeah. Which was, into, by the way, I read it and I was like, oh my God. And then Bendis did a cool thing with her at the end of it. Cause I, I, I'll show it to you after the show, but there's the first six issues. It's like, it's probably eight issues, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a graphic novel though. It's weird. Um, it's not bound like one anyway. And, but the, the first six are the cartoony kind of Archie kind of, right? you know, three ladies are going to nursing school and one of them turns down, you know, and then, um, the last two issues are Bendis going, no, that woman becomes the night nurse. <laughs> Which is very sweeping of Bendis, and sometimes that irritates me, and sometimes it doesn't. And in this case, I, I do not mind. No, I think it's great. I think yeah. it's great when they can take a – like, you know, back when back in the day, in the 60s or early 70s, whenever those characters were created, Marvel just put out books. And it's like, oh, let's put out a book that's, like, targeted to girls. Yep. Here's a, here's a romance comic about nurses. And then to find a way later to say, no, that's part of our big old universe. Yeah. It's kinda, I think it's kind of neat. That's amazing. And, and I also wanted to say, I think – when I'm watching something like Daredevil, I get a really I get a real kick out of then thinking this takes place in the same universe where we saw Howard the Duck at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, and I just yes. freaking love that. Yeah, because it, again, it feels like the way Marvel does their comics. It's like this right. can be grim and gritty and street level and crime oriented, but. Avengers Tower is still right over there, and the Guardians of the Galaxy are still up there somewhere in the stars. And, and Howard the Duck is still talking to Spider-Man somewhere in town going, you know what, I'm just trying to make a buck. And uh, Are you reading the new Howard the Duck? It's awesome. I've heard, yeah. No, I haven't read it, but I've heard. It's actually excellent. So, um, and, and it's... Yeah, well, I'm reading too many comic books right now. So And, uh, well, it's interesting. Early, earlier you said something about, did these books come out of fan fiction. Yeah. And just recently, a friend of mine turned me on to a piece of fan fiction that was written by Max Landis. Who is? John Landis' son. He's a oh, screenwriter. Yeah, I believe yeah. he wrote uh, Chronicle, the okay. movie that came out a few years ago, that found footage superhero movie. And John Landis is is a famous director. Mm-hmm. Blues Brothers. Blues and Brothers American guy. Wolf in London and all that stuff. But he, he had written, I don't know, this must have been early in his writing career, he wrote a piece of fan fiction called Shocker Legit. And okay. it is available on, you can find it online, and it is about Shocker, the character from the Spider-Man comics, low-level villain. Okay. All from his point of view, written very, it was like, I was reading it and there were times when I thought, did I write this? Because it's <laughs> written in the same, like, first-person, present tense, hard-boiled style. Yeah. And it's this incredibly entertaining story where you get to know all about Shocker and he's trying to become a hero over the course of the story and yeah. frequently failing miserably and having brutal fights with Bullseye and wow. his best buddy is Rhino who seems to be slightly oh, yeah, yeah. mentally deficient and he has an affair with Black Cat and like <laughs> he becomes buddies with Peter Parker before realizing that he's actually Spider-Man who he hates. Okay. And uh it's a really terrific piece of fan fiction that he just I don't know if he wrote it on spec or wrote it for it as an exercise but it's yeah. like 
highly entertaining and it's obviously a first draft because there's grammatical errors and there's all these things but so worth a read if you're a fan of Spider-Man or if you're a fan of Superior Foes of Spider-Man which is a great run recently that Nick Spencer did on this book that was all about the Sinister Six but they only had five members (laughs) and it was all from their points of view and it was another great like low-level henchman very funny so okay so do you love Thunderbolts Yes. Because that's entirely yeah. redemption-y based. Yeah. Okay. I love Thunderbolts and Suicide Squad and those kind of I – mean, and at least Is I love Suicide them in – Suicide Squad the DC version of Thunderbolts exactly. where they're super villains exactly. but they're trying to go straight? Yeah. And I think Suicide Squad might have come first. Okay. But, you know, yeah, yeah. As, so, as in anything with Marvel and DC, we, we can do a book like that. <laughs> I'm Animal and, Man. I'm the right. thing. I'm Swamp Thing. Exactly. What? Man stop Thing, saying, Swamp Thing. Yeah, stop talking to the word thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, I, I think uh, – now I've forgotten your question. Oh no, that's well. Of course, it's a, it's always it's al- it's always done like that. Uh, so, yeah, the um, well, I I, I like the because we were talking about what were we talking about? We were t- talking about all kinds of stuff. Uh, the, we, yeah, exactly. That was it. It was four different things. And so, my idea is that is is so. Oh, we were talking about TV shows actually. Oh yeah, so, yeah. I'm a so, huge. What's fan. the next one? I'm a huge fan, and I went from not liking it at all. To it's the show I most look forward to every week now is Agents of Shield. Oh, really? Because you didn't like it. At I first. did not like the first several episodes. I thought it was bland. I thought the characters were dull. I didn't give a shit. And uh, but that's true with almost every TV show. You got to give it at least six not seconds. Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, where the pilot is like out of the gate. I'm like, that's I'm hooked. True. I'm that hooked. Is true. That is but, true. But this was like I was I gave it multiple episodes, and then I kept hearing, or I started hearing that, oh, just wait for when Winter Soldier comes out. Okay. Because these universes are going to tie together and it's going to be – and they weren't kidding. And like yeah. ever since then, that show has just like been heavily serialized. Yeah. It's really drawn from all the corners of the Marvel universe yeah. that the movies won't ever tap into. Like Kyle MacLachlan plays Mr. Hyde yes. in season oh my two God. and is incredible. Is so incredible. Everyone, Bill Paxton, people having the time of their lives. Absolutely. Which, you're right. In the first couple episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., what I missed most was uh, Coulson's humor, mm-hmm. that dry sense of humor that that he showed in the movies. And, um, and then it finally it came back, and I was like, I'm in. I'll be watching this. I'll be figuring out what the hell. And, and once they and, expanded the cast, and once they turned Grant Ward evil, he's become one of the most interesting characters on the show. Right. People had a problem with how wooden he was, mm-hmm. and, and it was uh, the Sky character. I like that the Sky character has become so exciting that she's also, um, I think one of the last episodes I saw, somebody told her to use her powers, and she was like, "My pa- her earthquake powers? And she's like, Said so, no, no, your internet powers. <laughs> yeah, use your computer skills because that's why we hired you. And uh, and so it was a great, you know, bringing it back exactly to something that's real. And and and, and she had that. She had a single take fight scene in oh, this right. past season that rivaled the one on Daredevil. That was right. like I felt like the same choreographer, quite mm-hmm. honestly. And, and, I was like, and she did all that work, and I was like, oh my god, I did not know that she did all that. Yeah, work. and well, I was like, that is amazing. She's and very she's, fit. She's very fit, and she's <laughs> and she's really grown into the character. Yeah. Now the character is Daisy Johnson from from, from Secret Warriors. So yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, all these things where it feels like, oh, this isn't just some little side project thing that has nothing to do with the Marvel universe. This is steeped in it. Yep, and, and it can uh, be as big or as little as they want it to be. Exactly. And that's that. That's the thing that I kind of liked about it is that it was it was slice of life of the regular people trying to work 
next to and around superpowered people. Exactly. Which is the, I mean, there was some backlash, I think, online about Sky having superpowers because they were like, well, we wanted it to just be regular people, but the overwhelming, everybody else was like, no, it has to, they're at, we're in superhero land. Yeah. And I was cool with her not, nobody being superpowered and then just running into superpowered people and then, you know, like, um, his name isn't Fez. What the hell? That's the guy from Seventy Show. Fitz. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Fitz. Uh, him being her, him and um, what's but it? Fez is joining the cast in season three. Exactly. It's going to be great. They're going to just get stoned and shoot everybody in a circle. And uh, so the uh, the but the, the super scientist thing was where their superpowers kind of clearly lay in the first season. Right, exactly. They were super scientists. They could they could stop superpowered people with weird things. And I and I like that uh that who's the cyborg that's on the team now? Deathlock. Deathlock losing mm-hmm. all the words now. Uh in minute 40. <laughs> I like to lose all the words in minute 40. Uh yeah, but I I like that Deathlock is is in it. So okay, what about the rest of them? So what are the what are the Marvel shows that are out? It's just Agents of Shield, there's Daredevil. And then Jessica Jones is coming next on Netflix. And That's then right. Luke Cage is coming to Netflix. Who's Jessica Fist. Jones again? Uh it's uh what's her name? Kristen Ritter. Is going to play Jessica Jones, and Jessica Jones is a character invented by Brian Michael Bendis, mm-hmm. who is a and retconned back into in, into the universe, right? Yes. Okay. And she was originally he wanted to use Jessica Drew, who was Spider Woman, right. as the character, but they were like, "No, we got plans for her." So he created this character. She used to be a superhero. She has superpowers, but it didn't work out for her. So she's what are now her become superpowers? she can fly. Oh wow! She's super strong. She has pretty good powers, but she's just become a regular citizen private detective. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I think like her super. With certain advantages because she can fly and has super strength. Yes. That'll, exactly. That'll up your game. Yeah. But it Uh, also has this incredible, it's also a fairly dark story where she has this, uh, she was violated, uh, in a very psychological way by the purple man. I am unfamiliar with, so she was like mind raped? Basically. And, yeah. well, which and we know from uh, Star Trek Next Generation, uh, mm-hmm. is not okay. Exactly. Uh, and so, but it's who's the purple? Okay. It's never okay. Uh, who's uh, the purple David man? Tennant from Doctor Who is playing the purple man. Ooh. Who is just wow. this, he's this psychological manipulator character. I wasn't that familiar with him from the comics until I read. Okay. Alias, the- which was the title of the Jessica Jones book. Okay. But it's a great book. Oh, great, I, someone was just telling me about the yeah, alias. Yeah, it's a great story. And, uh, I think that if they do it the kind of justice that they've done to Daredevil, it'll I have be no amazing. doubt it'll be amazing. And mm-hmm. it has a you know has a female showrunner, which I think is great. That is great. Yeah. So Yeah. It's uh there was there was some some hoopla. I guess Gen Con had a had a panel about women uh it was how to write women in comics. Mm-hmm. Moderated by Bill Willingham, who writes fables who I love. Mm-hmm. Uh and all male writers. I heard about this. And it was too bad, but it was essentially Gen Con said, well, we couldn't, we asked all these women writers and, and we asked you Willow Wilson. We asked all these different writers and they were all busy. I was like, yeah, I know you're looking for big names, but go down a rung. Exactly. You know? Just because Kelly DeConnick can't do it doesn't mean there aren't 30 other women comic book writers. You have Bill Willingham. The room will be full. Exactly. It'll be fine. Give those yeah. women a chance. Give them an option. 
an opportunity to be known by people. There's totally. artists, there's writers. Yeah, because that's so, just crazy. I mean, that's like, it really, if you can't get any women to be on the panel, maybe change the panel. Maybe do something the, else. Do a different topic. Talk about something else. Yeah, because Bill Willingham. Because that just looks, I mean, in 2015, I mean, <laughs> that is bad. beyond absurd. It looks bad. And Gen Con, actually, they're good guys who are, you know, it's like a couple of years ago, the guy who booked um, the comedy for South by Southwest. There was mm-hmm. a comedy tent. And he booked... Tig Notaro and 31 men, white men. And unfortunately, somebody noticed. <laughs> and he was like, well, I just sort of picked my favorite comics. And, uh, and it just, I didn't and think. He, he I didn't, didn't think. Uh, think. Right. I didn't think I might want to mix it up a little bit because first of all, that doesn't even do any service to the 31 white guys that you're doing because nobody's going to remember any of those guys. Right. Because it's just going to be a blur of white bearded dudes. Yeah. And the guys who look screwed. vaguely like me. You right. Know, some guys with facial hair and glasses. <laughs> right. Some guys that are thin, some guys that are tall, some guys that are heavier. It's all, that's all you're going to see. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be a blur. It's going to be like the line outside of Ascat on a Saturday night. Basically. It's those <laughs> well, guys. It's the... those nice guys. Ascat, great show, you guys. Absolutely. Uh, if some women of color could go to it, that'd be great. <laughs> just mix up the line, you guys. You don't get to be on it. Anyway, so, uh, I did Ascat one time four years ago, but, uh, it was fun. Oh, it's a great uh, show. And I passed for white, so it's all, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I am both Irish and Armenian, which I think are both non-white. So you, non-white. you represented, yeah, you represented. Yeah, I remember, I remember the, uh, there was some. I'm reason. Irish. I don't think Irish is non-white. Look th- at me. I think, <laughs> right, you were, the, you were almost trans- translucent, Stephen. Yes, Brophy. look at me. And, uh, but I, I think I read something once where the Irish considered themselves the African-Americans of Europe. A hundred years ago. Maybe two hundred well, years ago. Two hundred years ago that might have been true. Right. I get what the analogy means. Yes. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah, now it now, no longer holds water. It's, it's, and somebody else was also saying that Jews don't consider themselves white. And I'm like, yes, but you could pass for white. Mm-hmm. So you have certain advantages. And uh I don't know why uh we've led to this. Because you know why? Because comics address the big issues. Exactly. Because exactly. they can't. Comic books can totally talk about anything, and so can podcasts. It's all in the book, people. No, it's not. It isn't. Um, Who's Joshua Guess? Joshua wrote Guess Next. wrote a book called Next, which is a really terrific uh, novel about a bunch of post-humans, uh, essentially superpowered people, and a government-run superpowered prison, and uh, a huge, Next. a huge war where the uh, government doesn't trust. Any of the superpowered people, but obviously there's a contingent of them that are good and willing to like rise up and be heroes and help. Right. And, uh, to stave off the, the onslaught of the bad folk that are coming. All right. So. And that one's a good one. That's a great one. Casey Glanders. Casey Glanders has a series of books that, uh, he just churns them out so fast. It blows my mind. It's the guy like, just I, writes. I, yeah. And I read a whole bunch of them. And then as, after a while, I couldn't keep up. So I haven't read one in a while, but they're very well written. Uh, he, and his whole thing, one, sir, one, one, it's world. all about this character, Gail Sohn, who is also an, an ex villain. Okay. And it's her big redemption story. And it's also the story of her estranged daughter and, uh, another, and it's a slew of really great female characters. And part okay. of the reason he wrote it is he has daughters 
and uh, oh, and he needed to tell stories to, that they wanted to. Really yeah, do. he wanted he didn't see enough stories out there that were catering to um, you know young women that would be interested in this stuff, and so. But this is yet started, another adult topic, right? It's 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 pre- yeah, it's pretty yeah. adult. It's okay. you know it's sexy and it's violent and it's uh, yeah. So not you know, not your ten year old daughter. No, but no. your but your, your 13, 14 year old daughter could probably okay. handle you know. it. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. That's cool. That's I mean some of these I mean. And are they all self-published to some extent? Um, Casey Glanders is definitely self-publishing. Um, I believe uh, Astounding Antagonists has a publisher. Couldn't name it off the top of my head. Right. Uh, Mike Leon, who wrote Kill, Kill, Kill. I think he has a publisher. What's Kill, Kill, Kill about? Kill, Kill, Kill is utterly insane. That is the most, not only would I say it's only for adults, it's only for very specific adults. <laughs> like if you are a fan of hardcore Norwegian death metal, this is the, this is the comic book novelist for you because his stuff is so insanely, almost joyously violent and brutal and mean-spirited and his characters are frequently just you know different levels of awful you're rooting for the least (laughs) horrible um of the bunch and but but again incredibly well written i would i would recommend it to such a narrow group of people because of its brutality death metal fans out there (laughs) get out there this is the book for you. Yes. Finally, <laughs> prose that really sums up your your inner your inner life. <laughs> I, I I would like to write the darkest book in the world and just call it Inside My Head Voice, and uh, it's essentially just the madness that none of us should act upon. And uh, that's just basically book. open up your skull. If your skull grew a mouth, this would be, this would be the book exactly that it would dictate. Uh, um, wow. It's right. And speaking of which is there's a bunch of very dark like Gotham. Are you watching Gotham? I think Gotham, uh, I, I got to say I'm dropping it. OK, and I did make it through pretty much the whole first season, but I really think it's bad. OK, I really think it's poorly written and it is fan servicey in the cheapest, most kind of uh, hacky. Yeah. Like, okay. like it, you know, drags in every, you know, it's like, oh, this guy's going to be the Riddler. See? Oh, this right. This character is going to be the Joker. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the kids are all like, yeah. one's Poison Ivy and one's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah and the but worst I... characterization of Poison Ivy. And they even gave, made her name Ivy. Right. You know, not Pamela Isley or whatever it is in the comics, but she's Ivy Pepper or whatever. And it's right. like... And it's just everything about it is so sort of on-the-nose, winky-like. And, it, you know, and, and occasionally it has a moment, but, like, there's a really potentially great story to tell there. And I yeah. thought if they had taken that first season and made it the story of... Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah. And then had them murdered at the end of the first season. Oh, that would have actually resonated. Instead of a opening lot. with it. Yeah. I mean, and it opened with it. it. It was so cliche that she's wearing a pearl necklace that doesn't get broken, but we still see the pearls clatter to the pavement Oy, of with the, the alley. Poodles. I, and you know I'm what? Like... I've, I've, I have, I have cherry picked that show because for some reason my DVR, which has got rabbit ears, uh, sometimes we get that channel, sometimes we don't. So I have half an episode of whatever. So I've seen probably six episodes mm-hmm. and my favorite ones are the ones with the tiny tunes, uh, of, of future Gotham. 
Like, I like Tiny Toons of... I would rather see that show, Tiny Toons of Future Gotham. So, like, Little Bruce Wayne and yeah, Little, little Catwoman. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Little Catwoman. And uh, <laughs> I would like to see their their shenanigans, and that would be more fun for me. But that would have been awesome to actually... Could you imagine if they had done the first season of Gotham where we got to see his parents and, who, and then we who realize, they are and we find out that we like them and that they're really interesting people. We have to they're... truly like let's love them enough that when we're 40, we're still mad. Exactly. That that's exactly th- that's where story. you see the tragedy for him, for the entire city, for every and, and that. Yeah, that would yeah. be incredible. Oh, my God. And that, that's Reboot. such, a, such a missed opportunity. Yeah. Because now that. it's because now they're in, right? And, and, and then supposedly the show was going to hinge on Gordon investigating their murder, but that was pretty well forgotten by midway through the season, I think. And, right? He had to. They, yeah. And they would and just have terrible. Who, and who is that handsome young man? Who who is who is that oh, good looking? That plays actor? Gordon yeah. is Ben McKenzie. He ben, used to be on the OC. That's it. And he, he was, was on Southland. Okay. And uh, yeah, because that because that is. He's a, a different. We were talking before the show about the handsome mm-hmm. actors of 2015, right? And, that are all named Chris. That are all named Chris, and then also they. But he's a different type. He's a guy yes. that looks like that guy, uh, but he's also super good looking. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, so there's that good looking, and then there's the the Captain America good looking, which is also Chris Pratt and Chris Pine, and those guys all have that good lookingness, and they all have the same people. Who are making them work out? Like they have the same trainers, trainers. the same personal trainers. So they too. have the same body type. Oh yeah, and even Paul I, Rudd has it now. I don't know right. if you saw Ant Man, but I did see. He's Ant got Man. a six pack. He's got a six pack, and he's ripped and like crazy. And you're like, okay, and you want me to be able to tell the difference between these humans? I cannot tell the difference between these humans. I can and tell Paul Rudd from all of them because he still looks like he hair. has for twenty. Five years. He's he baby, he's John Cusack. Aged. He's barely aged. Yeah. Even John Cusack has aged worse than Paul Rudd. Right, but Paul I, Rudd is almost my age, and he looks like his nineteen-year-old self. And I'm like, right, but I think that that uh, John Cusack is like ten years. Are they the same age? He's John. John Cusack is my same age. I think he's like forty-eight. So, so him and Paul Rudd are the same age. Close. Do you think? Yeah. Okay, so Paul Rudd might be four or five years younger. Yeah. Okay, so. Um, yeah, because he looks much younger than John Cusack, oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. um, it's interesting that he's Ant Man. But Michael Douglas, let's talk briefly about Ant Man, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Oh yeah, it, was it great. had the heart. It had a lot of heart to it that I thought the Avengers two had went darker and didn't have that heart. Yeah, which, I, the Avengers two. There were so many things I did like about it, but yes. overall, I it was definitely left. With an empty, somewhat empty feeling. I was like, oh, it's a giant blockbuster. I might as well have been watching any number of giant blockbusters. Yeah, it didn't have that same joyous feeling I had watching the first Avengers. Yeah, yeah. Or Mad Max. The best movie of the summer. The best movie of the summer. And who would have thought? If you have not seen Fury Road, uh, Rangers, get out there. Absolutely. Because in the world of, talk about redemption. I was just going to say that. Totally a redemption story. And totally a story that successfully... I guess to the you know chagrin of some men, totally successfully shifts the focus of who the real protagonist of the story is to a woman, right? And the group of women that she's protecting, and makes probably one of the most feminist action blockbusters you're going to see. It was rock star. It was and and the guy with the guitar, 
that's where that's every 14 year old man child in the world uh there's no reason not to love that movie every, <laughs> the doof warrior <laughs> the doof warrior and uh if i mean if 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 the men's movement was mad about the rest of the movie that should have placated him because that guy was made i mean it was such a and i had never seen road warrior um, oh, really? Yeah, I had seen Thunderdome. That's the only one I had seen previously, but we just rented it from Netflix. We got a, a, a DVD. We got a hard copy of a What's DVD. What's that now? Well, it came What's in the mail. Thing? Interesting. And, right, because it was not oh. available streaming, which we all, of course, have. But uh, <laughs> So I was like, they don't have Road Warrior. Uh, we have to get a hard copy. And he was like, okay. So we sent back the, the, the DVD that we had had for three years uh, that we had never watched, and now we are sitting on... The next DVD on our queue, which is uh, the British version of Leverage. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, which is great. I wanted to see. Um, it is called. Did I even open it? I didn't even open it, you guys. This is the. It's like a, it's like listening to the She's unboxing. It now. It's an She's unboxing. It now. Yeah. And uh, of, a, of, a, of a game. It is called Hustle. Season one, disc one. And it is essentially what Leverage was based on. Oh, interesting. Do you know how we uh, Americans steal uh, the shows of And of, written of on Great the Britain. written on the paper envelope, this doesn't play. Oh no. I don't know what that means. Uh, let, <laughs> for you? Let's examine. Let's examine it. This doesn't written in pencil. Written in pl- uh, all right, well. Uh, maybe they knew that I would I wouldn't open it for th- for three weeks and then I wouldn't pr- wouldn't watch it for three years. The DVD looks okay, doesn't it? Looks fine. Looks fine to me. And then also, are you reading this uh, Warren Ellis? I have been reading Trees on uh, Comicsology, so which I, okay. I do that a lot when I can when when the prices go down on the single issues on Comicsology because yeah. I only have so much shelf space in my life and uh, yet I, and I so I do really love. I mean, like I try to buy a lot of trade paperbacks and even yeah. those I'll try to buy when they're used so I you know get them for a better oh, yeah, price. Yeah. The Iliad. Yeah, the Iliad. I love yeah. that place. But but a lot of stuff I'm buying digitally these days just because I don't... There's nowhere to put stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's, and, uh, yeah. and trees is really interesting. It's interesting. It's about giant trees, you guys. Mm-hmm. Giant, giant alien, alien trees. <laughs> that have come to the earth and then 10 years later, uh, they're still studying it. And then I think at issue 10, we're 10 years further on. And it's um, also about, you know, sexual and romantic fluidity and... Because uh, people are involved, you guys. Crime and violence, sure. and all kinds of cool stuff. So, what would you say? You would. Uh, we're at an hour, just so you know. Uh, so that went so fast. It goes really fast, especially when I eat up a good ten, fifteen minutes of your dorkdom because <laughs> it overlaps. But people, all dorkdom ultimately does. Yeah, they really do. Is at stbrophy.com. Mm-hmm. Well, it's at stbrophy on Twitter, and then stbrophy.com is your website. Exactly. The books are available on Amazon: The Eternity Conundrum and The Villain Sidekick. Go the villain sidekick first before you read the prequel. Could they read the prequel before you they read? could? But I think it's more fun because it is a. It's a moment that is significant to the villain sidekick that right. is being teased in the prequel, and I think that that makes it more fun to read it after. Okay. And uh, you get a little more backstory on uh, his ex-wife, the dame. The dame. And uh, the Eternity Conundrum is, of course, like my version of, you know, the Infinity War and all those other, like, mega name crossover, crossover kind of flashpoint and all that kind of stuff so i just thought and it also sounds like the title of a robert ludlum novel from 1975 or something the eternity right. conundrum it does at that it so it's like a that. massive apocalyptic event and he's playing his tiny role in it and 
get some unexpected news that changes his feelings about letting the apocalypse happen. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That'll happen. It's uh, the, the it's the little things that make us stop the apocalypse. You exactly. Guys. That's that is the message of Stephen Brophy, you guys. It's the little things that make stop the apocalypse. <laughs> All right. Well, I love this episode. I hope you guys did too. Uh, find Stephen Brophy's work uh, and and be nice to each other out and there. Thanks for having me. It was you, a blast. You are welcome. Be good out there or have fun. Take care. <laughs> Bye. My hat. My hat. My hat. They're dancing around my hat, my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?